midday on the Rural Radio Network, and here we go. We've uh, opened the chute and let her go, and uh, we see at this point Joe Gangwish jumping up and down on the back of a uh, wild animal, and uh, <laughs> just trying to hold on for yeah. seven seconds. Am I bronc riding? Or? <laughs> yeah. I think All it was right. your thirty twenty is what he was talking actually, about, I'm actually. jumping up and down on these headphones trying to get them to work. Oh. Not working very well. Riding those egg right. headlines off into the sunset. Contingency plan here. Yeah. We'll move on to the old announcer style. He's got the ear. He's got the hand behind the ear, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good to go. Gary Owen style. Lots of guys out in the field, so thanks for taking us along here on the Rural Radio Network. Everybody out there in the tractor. Absolutely. They're shuttling seed around or whatever you're doing. Thanks for taking us along. Busy day in ag news. Bayer is going to sell its Liberty and Liberty Link branded seed business to gain antitrust approval for its acquisition of Monsanto. Mm-hmm. Also, Senator Roberts of Kansas indicated over the weekend that there would be no additional money to spend in the next farm bill. And also, uh, Iowa Governor Branstad. He has been confirmed this morning by the Senate as the U.S. ambassador to China. So that's all happening in Ag News. 1219, Dewey Nelson with Jason Ladman, director at Water Street Solutions, on what to consider as you make equipment decisions this year. Our newsmaker today, curator of the National Museum of American History, that is Peter Liebhold. He talks about their display of agriculture at the Smithsonian. Kind of a cool interview. You'll enjoy that. Susan has that at 1245. Shaley is with us at 117. She will check in from the children's groundwater festival that is going on today in grand island and i understand scott is short on sports but he's long on height <laughs> as always <laughs> just stop at log if you wanted to do that which smithsonian is it which museum do you know is it the natural history or it's probably not air and space no it's not air and space okay. i'm guessing national i know history, jesse yeah. and susan really love that museum oh it's great nice. it's fun you could yeah. you could spend the whole Absolutely. week at the smithsonian's oh, yeah. plural yeah. <laughs> for sure. It's yeah. it's really, really cool. And so. it is Scott Foster in for Jason. Yes, Jason working the phones a little bit today. Yeah. So uh, they they called in the second string, and he couldn't make it, so they brought me it. So here I am. <laughs> well, you know, we've seen the third string do lots of great things in the fourth Weren't you quarter. in the movie Bench Warmers? Yes. I, I am the Terminator. I'm Matt Terminator <laughs> right now. That's you. That's right. Well, big day for uh, big news coming across is an early signing day for... Uh, letter of intent has uh, take it will be taking place next year. So, uh, if you're going to play college football, you can now sign in December as well as in February. Nebraska likes this because uh, some of the big boys, Alabama, Ohio State, they like to cherry pick, swoop in and get some of those late commitments. These early things. It's good news for Mike Riley and his staff here. Okay. Also, the uh, Hastings College softball team beat Morningside to win the GPAC softball title yesterday. And uh, a new entrance in the Missouri Valley Conference. They have decided to uh, invite Valpo out of Indiana because Wichita State has gone to the American Conference. So Valpo is in. Unbelievable. It's time for us to go over to Business News and Bob Brogan. U.S. stock index is inching further into record territory in midday trading today. Also, other things going on, U.S. employers advertised more job openings in March, but the number of people hired barely nudged. 
And uh, I don't know if you're going to have to take boxing gloves along or not, but uh, Spirit Airlines uh, say they're shocked and saddened to see videos of fighting among irate passengers at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport in Florida. All this and more coming your way today on Midday. Paul Perkins is in to take a look at uh, what's brewing down there. It could be kind of an interesting late afternoon and evening. Yeah, it looks like uh, eastern Colorado's to the south of Yuma to Denver is where we're looking at the greatest severe threat for today. That's where there is a slight risk for some severe thunderstorms. Right in southern Nebraska and in northern Kansas, that's where we do have a marginal risk for some severe weather. So not a big outbreak of severe weather if it does occur. It looks like the greater threat will be over eastern Colorado and once again south of the Yuma to Denver line. Yesterday got very hot in Nebraska. We were right underneath that high-pressure dome. They had low pressure over Arizona where they usually, of course, have the nation's high. But Nebraska actually got the nation's high yesterday, made it up to 95 at Takema. (laughs) That doesn't happen often, but we got to... Toot our horn when it does, I guess. <laughs> kind of a dubious distinction, but exactly. way to go. You survived the nation's high yesterday, Takeda. Uh-huh. Thunderstorm chances expected to increase later today as some pieces of low pressure continue to track right along the stall front. Right now, that front draped across southern Nebraska and northern Kansas. Brief heavy rains are a possibility tonight in some areas. The greatest severe threat, once again, south of I-80, close to the front on into northern Kansas, where we could see some large hail and damaging winds, but not expecting a big severe outbreak. The main area of low pressure will track northeast out of the four corners tomorrow. That stole front over northern Kansas, the main focus for some thunderstorms. Widespread rain and thunderstorms likely across the entire area for tomorrow and tomorrow night. That low weekends and moves off to the east for Thursday for a lingering chance of some thunderstorms. After that, Friday into the Mother's Day and graduation weekend, a ridge of high pressure taking hold to return those dry conditions and a warming trend. Early on next week, though, more low pressure expected to track east and tap into some Gulf moisture for some thunderstorm chances. In our long term, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas forecast to be warmer than normal for Mother's Day through May 22nd. That precipitation forecast expects Nebraska and Kansas to see near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Sunday through May 22nd. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth at 7 this morning in the low 50s in the Panhandle. Other areas north of I-80 in Nebraska in the upper 50s, right along and south of I-80. Those soil temperatures, though, right around 60 to the low 60s. Soil temperatures in Kansas statewide right around the 60-degree mark. Weather factors in the markets today include the continued difference in Midwest planning conditions and more rain chances for the southern plains. A slow-moving storm emerging from the southwest will help to focus the rain from the central and southern Rockies into the mid-Atlantic. Looks like much lighter precipitation will be expected across the northern and southern tiers of the nation with this system. In the southern plains, the rain and warmer weather will stay in the forecast to help the winter wheat. In the wake of that late April snowstorm, Kansas winter wheat rated very poor to poor, increased from 16 to 27 percent. Wheat rated good to excellent, declined in Kansas from 49 to 43 percent. The additional rain that we're expecting with this system may continue to slow also the planting progress in Kansas. Drier and warmer conditions in the near term for the northern plains, northwest, midwest, and delta are helping out with their field work. Planting progress continues to be slowed in the east and south midwest because of the wet and cool conditions that stick around there. In the Canadian prairies, there will be a return to wet conditions for northern Alberta and northwest Saskatchewan at the end of the week. 
that may again delay the harvest for last season's crop that's still in the fields and also their spring field work that's going on. Central Argentina's dry pattern helping with their harvest and rain across all of Brazil looks to benefit the second crop corn. Very good, and uh, this hour's ag weather brought to you by Coolman Repair. And so as we get into the afternoon hours, we're going to see... It's interesting how that marginal uh, chance of precipitation, that map, shows it just uh, literally bisected by the Nebraska-Kansas border there. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Um, I ID and to the south in that darker green there where yep. the marginal risk is, yes. All righty. Well, we'll watch it through the afternoon, see what we come up with, and when you need weather anytime, I want to remind you... It's at krvn.com. Here's an update of Ag News. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Rural Radio Network. The Nebraska Children's Groundwater Festival happening in Grand Island today. Let's get an update from Shaley Peters, who is there. Students from all over Nebraska have made their way to the festival to learn all about their groundwater. Marsha Lee, who's with the Central Platte Natural Resources District and Festival Coordinator, says students cover a variety of topics while here today. We have close to 800 students uh, this year. Uh, we have so many different activities. Students get to learn about so many different things. We have wildlife. We have hydroelectric power. We have and how it all relates back to, to groundwater. The students get to go to six different uh, classroom activities and a stage show and so what we try and incorporate is we get we try and get the the technical the two or three of the technical classrooms and then we have some outside activities like you mentioned like the migration headache or the drought runabout where they get actually get a move and and we have a couple of relay race uh, type activities and then they also like I say get to go to a stage show so we do try and mix it up for every single school that comes the festival is hosted each year by the Central Platte Natural Resources District. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaley Peters. A Senate panel has approved Iowa Governor Terry Branstad as U.S. Ambassador to China. This morning's decision all but assures full Senate confirmation of President Donald Trump's pick for the key diplomatic post. Members of the Foreign Relations Committee approved Branstad's nomination by voice vote. Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland the committee's top Democrat says Brandstad is fully qualified for the job at a time when the Trump administration is pushing the Chinese to act more aggressively to defuse North Korea's nuclear weapons program. Brandstad has pledged to confront Beijing on a range of thorny subjects, including human rights and trade, and that does include more beef flowing into that country. Well, one of the first tasks of the new USDA Ag Secretary is staffing. Let's get more on that from Jesse Harding. Several have voiced their opinion that a secretary from the South needs a deputy from the Midwest. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue told the Roll Radio Network while we were in Washington, D.C., how he will address these concerns. We're very serious about geographical as well as industry type of diversification, as well as gender, race, and all those kind of things. I want the USDA to look like America, not all of it centered in Bonaire, Georgia, where I grew up. We want geography. You may know that this is the first Ag Secretary from the Southeast, uh, I think, maybe ever. There might have been one from Mississippi, never had one from Georgia. But again, I believe I have a very broad perspective. As governor, uh, we had great communication with our other members, but we're diligently searching for 
different people, deputies and undersecretaries of all these mission areas that will give us a diversification that looks like American agriculture. Secretary Purdue also says he has plans to fill the undersecretary for trade position, while Secretary Vilsack never did. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. The White House has proposed uh, postponed a meeting rather for today uh, to discuss whether the U.S. should withdraw from the landmark international climate trade deal that was struck in Paris. The White House says the meeting will be rescheduled. It's the second time a meeting of top aides on the issue has been delayed. And also in the news today, Bear will sell its Liberty and Liberty Link branded seeds business to gain antitrust approval for its acquisition of Monsanto. The divestment of the two global brands, as required, imposed by South Africa's Competition Commission on Sunday. The planned divestitures are also widely expected to be required by competition regulators here in the U.S. and also in the European Union. That's Ag News. You can get more at RuralRadio.com. This is the Rural Radio Network. What to consider as you make equipment decisions this spring? That's our topic with Jason Ladman, Water Street Solutions. Jason, what should we be thinking about for any upcoming decisions? Well, now that planting has started, farmers are going to be faced with many decisions from here until harvest, and managing costs is going to be one of those decisions. And much of these costs will be input costs and fixed costs, those being fuel, repairs, labor, insurance, etc. But let's not forget about our machinery costs. And this is all key information as you monitor your farm's financial drivers throughout the crop year. But one lesser-known metric to be aware of is your machinery investment per acre. And this is the total value of your machinery spread across all of the acres that you farm. This metric helps us know the level of efficiency that you're currently achieving with your equipment line. And knowing this metric can be very helpful as you evaluate your operation on a deeper efficiency level, especially as you do your pre-tax planning throughout the year. Now, one question that came up a lot this past year with our farmer clients was, should I buy or should I lease this piece of equipment? And right now, there's a great amount of used equipment on the market, which has resulted in equipment dealers uh, being really creative in moving both new and used machines off their lots. And as a result, not all scenarios of leasing and owning are equal. So the first step in making this decision is to understand why the equipment is necessary. So is it necessary because it's a good deal, or is it necessary because you actually need the piece of equipment? Either answer can be okay, but the next way to evaluate your decision is through the numbers. What can we do to figure out the best option, Jason? Well, I know one particular client who was considering leasing or purchasing a new tractor earlier this spring, and so he enlisted his ag finance advisor to help him run the numbers and basically bring a non-emotional perspective to the conversation. The farmer's potential lease payment and the potential loan payment were very close in dollar amounts, so the farmer wasn't quite sure what to do. So the farmer and his advisor talked about how the operation's working capital was tight right now and about how the farmer was committed to preserving as much working capital as possible. So although his equity was good, he knew his lender would appreciate the preservation of the working capital. So to help think through the decision, the specialist and the farmer talked through a few more questions. They discussed the lease warranty and what repairs it would cover. They also discussed what types of repairs there might be for this year of tractor. And they examined what the trade-off potential would be in the future should the farmer purchase this tractor. But that wasn't all they considered. They talked about, was the lease an operating lease or a capital lease? And if the lease had a buyout, was it a large or a small percentage of its initial value? These were just some of the questions that they went over in their analysis. Jason, what else can we consider? Well, when you're facing a lease or a buy decision, think about these areas. Take a look at your farm's current financial state. 
if you were to make a down payment and take on an equipment loan, what will that do to your working capital and your equity? And will they remain within good financial ranges? Where are you in your farming career? Should you take on this type of purchase or should the next generation be considering purchasing this equipment instead of you? And does purchasing or leasing make more sense for your type of entity structure? Considering your view of your farm in five years from now, what are your expectations for production and do they change the logistics of needed machinery today? In next week's interview, I'll dive into more detail around evaluating equipment leases And if you'll be facing a decision on whether to lease or buy a piece of machinery, you may want to talk with one of our ag finance advisors for additional assistance because these decisions that you make today can affect the farm for years to come. So if you have more questions, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Our guest today, Jason Ladman, Water Street Solutions. Midday continues on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, high school seniors can now sign football letters of intent in December, in addition to the traditional signing period in February. The Collegiate Commissioners Association yesterday announced its approval of the new signing period. The early signing period is now scheduled for December 20th through the 22nd of this year. The Missouri Valley Conference has invited Valparaiso to join the league, replacing Wichita State. The league today said that its nine members voted unanimously to extend an invite to the Crusaders, who currently play in the Horizon League. Now, this move would be effective July 1st. The Valley said it would have no further comment on the move pending the negotiation of terms. The Valley, once among the nation's top mid-major programs, has been stung in recent years by the loss of two top men's basketball programs, Creighton bolted for the Big East and Wichita State. They left for the American Athletic Conference earlier this year. Top seed Concordia and second seed Midland each went undefeated and won their respective brackets in the GPAC postseason baseball tournament over the weekend. So that means the two will square off tonight for the conference title in Seward. First pitch is set for six. And the Hastings College softball team battle into the if necessary game and then came away with its first GPAC conference tournament championship since 2009, knocking off Morningside yesterday as the Broncos won the second and third games 5-2 to two and 5-4. to four. They are now headed on to the national tournament. North Black Community College has announced that they have named current Lady Knights assistant coach Ashley Bell as the interim women's basketball coach. She will serve in that role for the upcoming season. Bell was a volunteer assistant for the Lady Knights during the 2015-2016 season and was an assistant coach this past year. And Hastings College Rodeo Coach Justin Noakes has been awarded the Great Plains Region College Rodeo Coach of the Year Award. Noakes, who lives in the Junietta area, has been at the helm of the Hastings College Rodeo team since the college started the club eight years ago. Now, this school year was supposed to be the last for the program due to financial constraints, but support from donors, namely industrial irrigation, has given the club one more year. And today marks the 20th anniversary of the death of former Nebraska head football coach and longtime athletic director Bob Devaney. Of course, was the architect of the Husker football machine. He died in 1997 at the age of 82. That's all the good sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly cloudy today with a high near 74 for tonight. Showers and thunderstorms are likely mainly between midnight and 2 a.m. Cloudy with a low of around 54. For Wednesday, a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Cloudy 
with a high near 63. From the newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. The Nebraska Children's Groundwater Festival is happening in Grand Island today. Rural Radio Network correspondent Shaley Peters has an update. Students from all over Nebraska have made their way to the festival to learn all about their groundwater. Marsha Lee, who's with the Central Platte Natural Resources District and Festival Coordinator, says students cover a variety of topics while here today. We have close to 800 students uh, this year. Uh, We have so many different activities. Students get to learn about so many different things. We have wildlife. We have hydroelectric power. We have how it all relates back to to groundwater. The students get to go to six different uh, classroom activities and a stage show. And so what we try and incorporate is we get... We try and get the the technical, the two or three of the technical classrooms, and then we have some outside activities like you mentioned, like the migration headache or the drought runabout, where they get actually get a move, and and we have a couple relay race uh, type activities, and then they also, like I say, get to go to a stage show. So we do try and mix it up for every single school that comes. The festival is hosted each year by the Central Platte Natural Resources District for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters. Convicted felons who finish their prison sentences will still have to wait two years before they can vote in Nebraska. Lawmakers fell short of the support needed to override Governor Pete Ricketts' veto of the bill that would have eliminated the two-year waiting period. Prior to the vote, Ricketts said the two-year waiting period is reasonable. They have committed serious crimes, and one of the issues we want to do is address the recidivism rate. So giving them that incentive to, you know, Keep a clean record for two years is an incentive for them to be able to not re- you know, reoffend, not come back into our system, and then eventually earn that right to vote back. Senators needed 30 votes to override the governor, but the vote was 23 to 23. Nebraska lawmakers have passed an $8.9 billion two-year state budget after a showdown over state spending and tax collections. The budget would increase spending by an average of 1.1% annually, well below the historical average starting July 1st. The final round vote on Tuesday followed a contentious debate among lawmakers, some of whom argued that more cuts were needed. Lawmakers began the session with a projected revenue shortfall of nearly $900 million. They balanced the budget with a combination of cuts, withdrawals from state rainy day fund, and tapping money from various cash accounts. Some senators say the budget could force the legislature into a special session in which lawmakers might have to consider sharper cuts or tax increases. Governor Pete Ricketts has voiced concerns about parts of the budget. Get the latest forecast and live severe weather reporting around the clock on KRVN and KRVN.com. From the newsroom, I'm Scott Foster. Agriculture at the Smithsonian. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. If you ever get the chance to go to Washington, D.C., I encourage you to check out the Smithsonian, where we find out more about agriculture being intertwined. Peter Liebhold is one of the curators. The National Museum of American History approach to agriculture is to integrate it into the story of American business. That, that instead of isolating it, um, putting it off into a corner and romanticizing it, we're saying it's one of the fundamental stories to understanding the country. That it's all about respect for the past, but it's also understanding the economic impact and the technological impact of agriculture. Leibold says that he's very pleased with the reaction he's received from the displays at the Smithsonian. It's interesting how the public reaction um, to agriculture at the Smithsonian has has been enormous. That that we really have two groups that uh, react 
in a very favorable way. One is folks that are in agriculture that come here and are happy to see their story told and seeing it told in a in a really in a sophisticated and, and respectful way. But that's a fairly small minority of the country because so few people are in agriculture today. The, the bulk of our visitors, and we have a lot of them, over 4 million a year, the bulk of our visitors um, love food and are interested in knowing more about it. Um, the general public, there's a lot of, of concern about um, their food supply and, and being able to see that longer, more complicated story is something that people are interested in. And one area that's had a very strong influence on agriculture is corporate America. We have five major um, economic sectors that we look in our American Enterprise Exhibition. Uh, we look at agriculture, we look at manufacturing, we look at finance, look at uh, retail and service, and finally we look at um, IT and communication. And in fact, all of those five sectors are combined, that, that to look at agriculture by itself is not to understand agriculture. To be effective in, in ag today, you have to be good at finance. The days where just raising a crop or, or raising animals was, was good enough are, are gone. And I, I have to say every time I've um, gone for a ride with somebody in their combine, they're on their iPhone checking out commodity prices and thinking about hedging. Uh, that in terms of IT and communication, um, autonomous vehicles, the forefront of autonomous vehicles are, are not for cars for people in cities, they're for agriculture machinery working in fields. That's where the real breakthroughs are happening. So in all these different areas, uh, agriculture is a big part of it and really that intertwined story is the story that, that we tell. And Leivold says that when you look at this whole concept, everything is started because of agriculture. We, we really think that, that to understand the country, you have to understand agriculture, that, that at the birth of the country, over 80% of all of Americans were involved in agriculture. Um, as the country developed, as factories became, um, became important and people moved to cities, agriculture had to become more efficient. And so this, this switch um, from extensive farming, where if you want more food, you plow up more land, to intensive farming where you become more efficient, more productive, is is a story that mirrors the story of the nation. This is a the United States is a is a country that that's really obsessed by efficiency and productivity. Um, and it's true in factories as well as in agriculture. And as they move towards the next season, he's got his eye on a few things that you might be able to help him find. We we have um two big uh, initiatives um, going right now. Um, one is uh, looking at um, uh, technological change in, in agriculture, um, and the, what I'm really focusing on right now is, is the history of GMOs. Um, uh, how seeds, of course, have, have been so important, but, but how uh, GMOs have, have really brought um, a huge amount of change in terms of pesticide use, in terms of um, herbicides, in terms of uh, crop efficiencies. Um, we also uh, have an uh, interesting little um, small exhibition planned uh, for 2018 on the history of the tractor in America. Um, and so that's, um, again, a technological story, but one where uh, individuals' lives have been really um, changed by the introduction of uh, gasoline-powered equipment.
Look, and on display, part of the FFA. FFA is uh, um, a really interesting program in, in terms of, of youth training. Uh, when we um, set up our American Enterprise exhibition, we thought that we should have an FFA jacket in there really to to give um, the kids that, uh, the teens that, that come to the museum something to look at as a token. It turned out that we actually didn't have any in the collection. Uh, so we launched a, a search, um, collected a n number of jackets, and presently, uh, if you come to the museum, we have a sweetheart jacket, a white corduroy FFA jacket. And it's a wonderful story um, about women in agriculture. All at the National Museum of American History. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We're back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, about this ever-changing cattle futures market. Joe. Yes. Boy, if you aren't uh, strapped in with a seatbelt when you're watching these markets, uh, you're, in, you're in trouble. Uh, we had uh, some big trade again today and a big move. Um, we started out higher and uh, tried to rally. It uh, appeared we ran out of some sellers. Uh, nobody heard, I haven't heard of any uh, any cash trade so far today. And then the uh, market uh, just kind of started to drift lower. And then uh, as we got uh, down under unchanged, uh, things really cavalcated. And I think we get, got quite a bit of uh, renewed selling, mainly probably due to... Uh, Liquidation. I think the funds uh, also uh, hitting the sideline side after being long for uh, quite some time. So it really put some pressure on triple-digit losses in the uh, live cattle, limit limit down in feeder cattle. So yeah, uh, really huge day. You're talking $7 ranges in the uh, near $7 ranges in the uh, feeder cattle for the day from high to low. And uh, that's, uh, that's a... <coughs> signifying the volatility and it will not go away for a while we have a lot more to go we have a lot of open interest now the hogs the quiet one uh finishing mixed still cash seems to be fairly firm uh, cutouts a little bit better uh pretty good pretty good trade in the uh, pork and uh, so things pretty much held together we finished mixed over there whereas uh, under a lot of pressure in the Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, Dewey Nelson reporting. Again, for the Central Platte NRD's Groundwater Festival, Children's Groundwater Festival, going on here today in Grand Island. And I visit here with Marsha Lee. She is with the Central Platte, and she also is the festival coordinator. And Marsha, why don't you go over some of the highlights of this year's festival? You've got a lot of kids running around here. We do. We have close to 800 students uh, this year. Uh, we have so many different activities. Students get to learn about so many different things. We have wildlife. We have hydroelectric power. We have and how it all relates back to, to groundwater. And, of course, we have water. Kids get to build awesome aquifers uh, on their own, and they get to learn about landfills. And this year we actually have a, a stage show where they're going to see and hear about wildlife in uh, the Platte Basin time-lapse project. And so that's going to be really exciting for them as well. This is a neat event because it gives uh, students who might not otherwise learn about a lot of this stuff kind of a hands-on experience. That's right. And 
One thing that's really neat is a lot of students have actually developed this into their curriculum. So if they know they're coming to the festival, we send them information before, like a, a, a pre-test actually, uh, so they have an idea of what the students will be learning and so they're able to teach a little bit about that. So that way the presenters can go a little more in-depth and then we ask them to do a post-test at the end of the festival so we can see how much the students learned and, and how much they really um, understand about all the different topics that they learn about. Something that's fun, and I mentioned to you, I heard a kid on my way over here talk about how this was his favorite day of the whole school year, and you've got students coming in from really all over the state here. We do. Uh, we invite students from across the state, and this year, the school that's traveling the furthest is from Culbertson, uh, Nebraska, and so they're actually driving three hours each way to come here, so that's really neat. And then we also have students um, actually from northeast, south, and west of, of Grand Island uh, coming, so it's really neat that uh, teachers feel that this is an important educational event um, and come, come every year. And I know you highlighted here in the beginning just a little bit on some of the, you know, things that they would be going through. Are there any specific events happening today that you'd like to touch on? I know every year you try and incorporate some different things. We do. Some of the newer uh, activities this year, we have Build Beaver Build, where students create their own uh, beaver dam using natural and man-made items. And so that shows how uh, critical the species is to groundwater. Um, we have hydroelectric engineers, and the Nebraska Public Power District is coming to present that. And the students get to help design and learn the benefits of hydro hydroelectricity and how engineers work together to solve problems um, relating to groundwater. Um, another one is the Department of Environmental Quality is letting students experiment with different items to see how uh, how to filter water to keep it clean. So that's really neat too. Um, other fun things that the, the students enjoy learning, uh, water rockets, they get to build their own water rockets and, the, and they learn um, how water in compressed air can make can make water rockets and they learn about Grand Island's water system which is kind of unique um, and then we also um, have like gooey garbage where they get to build their own landfill and they get to use ketchup and syrup and cereal and, and that's really fun and that's why it's called gooey garbage <laughs> but they also get to learn about like wildlife um, migration headache the students get to act as if they're the waterfowl and then they get to go through the struggles when there isn't water available to to uh, the wildlife and they get to see if they can survive the migration so those are some I'm just some of the fun activities that we have. All right, thanks so much, Marsha. Marsha is with the Central Platte NRD. She is also the festival coordinator with Children's Groundwater Festival happening today in Grand Island. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. In the grain markets today, we saw a mixed trade. Soybeans finish higher. Same thing with corn, just slightly. But weight was lower, really taking it on the chin today. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So let's touch on the weight trade today and why we saw such a downward trend. Maybe news out of India, their crop looked a little better. I think probably just some hangover from the, the crop progress report last night. That conditions number was, I think, negative, but... Uh you know, not as bad as I think the Bulls wanted it to see. I mean, it's amazing how quickly a week changes things. We're, we're I've already essentially forgotten it, and now it's, uh, you know, looking at the WASD and, and growing stocks and global global carryouts being large. So I think we'll probably stay weak here through the, the report tomorrow and then maybe we'll look to make a, a shorter-term low. I wouldn't get bearish down here, but uh, if you read my psychology, it's tough to be bullish. You know, the markets are so slow. Um, just looking at where we've been the last, you know, 
first nine trading days of May in corn, we've only seen a 10 cent range. So this massively slow markets here are uh, putting us to sleep here in Chicago. Well, maybe so. And yet uh, the, the open interest, or should we say that these traders are uh, still short in uh, corn and wheat? Yep, we're short, and I would say we're back near, I mean, I would say record levels. Now, if you break it out, and then we'll start with corn, there actually is a little bit of a spec position, or there was as of last Tuesday, where I think you've seen that liquidate itself. But from the short side, if you just identified the number of shorts in it, not the net position, which a lot of guys will talk about, but that, that straight net, or the straight spec short position, it's record, we're record here. So it's difficult for me as somebody to invite somebody to sell it at these levels, because if we get some sort of spark, I mean, we'll be to 380 before you know it. And at that point, that's the decision. Really, here it's unfortunately just a slow bleed that you kind of have to live through. Uh, at 380, I think you've, you've got to figure out what you're going to be doing, uh, especially if you've got to move it by that July delivery. What are you guys talking about as far as tomorrow's report? What numbers are going to be really important? I think the global numbers will probably be more important than anything. I, we're not going to see a lot of data from, from the U.S. side that's going to surprise. I think everybody pretty much understands where the where the acres are and where that trend yield is going to take us. We could get a little bit of a demand bump in corn. That would be nice to see. But really, it's those global numbers. We're expecting large, large numbers out of South America. That probably keeps the trade somewhat buoyed here uh, without, without the weather coming into play. But once we get beyond this, then we start looking at conditions. And I will say, I mean, you know, here in Illinois, and I know we're just a slice of the pie, but Illinois and Indiana, are, they're in trouble. They've got some problems out this way, and I think, you know, we could easily see some conditions number that shock folks in a couple of weeks. Upside potential there. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.